Okay, it sure is an honor to stand here. Sometimes I think the Lord makes it possible for some other people to preach in pastor's place just to remind us how good we have it when he's preaching. <laughs> I think that's just a, a good thing. Um, let's see, if you could open your Bible to Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. Uh, second last uh, chap, uh, chapter in Proverbs. And uh, I'll just read... Um, Oh, well, if you follow along, I'll read the first uh, nine verses. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, and uh, just follow as we read verse 1 to 9. Uh, the Bible says, The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Eucal. Surely I'm more brutish than any man, I have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Uh, let's just have a word of prayer here. And Father, thank you for, again, this um, um, privilege to stand, open up Bible and preach. And Father, uh, it's... Uh, uh, this, this, what I'm about to say here is, is true and it's applicable to everybody and I pray that you'd direct my thoughts, direct my words and, and Lord I pray the Holy Ghost would just uh, use this in, in a way that would be helpful to people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, these, the, the, the verse number one, there's four men mentioned. mentioned. Uh, the man doing the speaking, his name is Agur. It says the words of Agur. And he's the son of Jacob. Jacob's his father. And then it says that it's a prophecy. So the rest of this chapter deals with things that are going to happen in the future. It's a prophecy. And his audience is two men. It says, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Eucal. And uh, you know what's uh, amazing about this is that of those four men, none of the men are mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place you find them. You find the man Ithiel, he, he's mentioned um, uh, in Nehemiah, but that's 250, mile, 250, mile, 250 years uh, away from this time, and a totally different man. It's like John the Apostle and the Apostle John, or John the Baptist and the Apostle John. Um, and so you have four men mentioned, one man speaking, and he's got an audience of two. It's not like, it's not like Samuel or Moses or Joshua where he's speaking to the entire nation, a couple million people. He's got two people he's talking to. And, uh, and what he says is, uh, I mean, the Holy Spirit saw fit to put this in the scriptures. He said, I want you to say, and you know if you can learn anything, nothing else but this. If you're talking to someone, and you're not talking to a bunch of people, there's not a microphone in front of you, you're just talking over a coffee table, over a workbench, over a kitchen table, and they're just you and one other person, there's no telling how you can affect that person. Not a, not a big audience. This man has two people listening to him, and God said, I want that to put, be put in here. Um, 
this is probably a prime example of when Solomon said, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. This is a prime example of that. Uh, now, the, with, with what we're about to look at, there's a certain direction or um, a progression that this man takes through these verses that we looked at or read. And uh, I want you to know that the progression, the title of this message is The Progression of a Good Man. And it's quite different from today's progression. Somebody who is uh, progressive today is, if the Bible way is going that way, today's progressive goes that way. That's just, you know, that when you hear someone talk about pro progressives think, that two men or two women can make a family. Progressives don't know the difference between a man and a woman. Progressives think that what took place on October 7th with the Israelis, they think that's okay. There's not, that's a progressive in the world. I'm not talking about that. This is the progression of a good man. And, um, and so uh, here we go. First thing I want you to notice there, verse number two. The Bible says, surely I am more brutish than any man. You say, what's brutish? Well, brutish, if you're going to be polite, <laughs> you would say just um, not real smart. <laughs> if you're going to be not polite, you'd say, uh, you'd say savage, stupid, barbaric. And this man, first thing I want you to know, his first step was he was cognizant of who he was. He said, this is me. And I don't know much about AA and all those self, I don't know, addiction programs, but if I understand right, the first step is to admit you got issues, <laughs> I, I, I think, from what I understand. And this fellow, right off the get-go, he says, surely I am more brutish than any man. And, uh, and you know, the Bible said, listen, you hold on, to, we're going to keep coming back here, but look over there in Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19. And, uh, and the Bible says, now bearing in mind this thing's a prophecy, but in chapter 19, verse number 11. Look there, it says, uh, Isaiah 19, 11, Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. The counsel of the wise counselors of Pharaoh has become brutish. Um, now we know that the, the Egypt's a picture of the world. Pharaoh is the, the, the god of this world and the wisdom of this world, that verse says they become brutish. That's God's take. The New Testament over there in 1 Corinthians says the wisdom of this world is his foolishness with God. That verse says the, the wise counsel of, uh, uh, of the wise counselors of pharaohs has become brutish. And uh, so uh, now I want you to notice something else that if a fellow says, now, now that's, that's, that, that would make most people an exception. Well, let me show you what the Bible says about most people. <laughs> Look there in, um, in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. I'm just, just a little side note thing, but uh, nonetheless, it's in the text here, so I want to cover it. Jeremiah chapter 10, and look at verse number 14. The Bible says, every man, you see that thing, no exceptions, every man is brutish in his knowledge. Uh, that kind of says what God's take on man is. And this man, Agur, right from the start, he readily admits, I don't know anything. Uh, the Bible says, I know that the way of man is not in himself. There is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. 
Man is, he doesn't, he needs somebody to point him in the right direction. And this fellow says, I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm here to under, tell me, tell me what direction to take. Uh, now, uh, verse number three, look back there in, in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse three. He goes on and he says, uh, at the end of verse two, he says, have not the understanding of a man, uh, neither, I neither learned wisdom. Uh, you know, I read over there in Job chapter 28, verse 28, the Bible says, and on the man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. This fellow says, I don't have understanding, I don't have wisdom. He, you understand, he's a perfect blank but unlike a lot of people who think, I know what I'm doing, you ever try to work with somebody who says, <laughs> you try to explain, children are sometimes known for this. You, now this, uh, I know, and no, no, wait, hold on. I know, I know, and it's, you know, you, know, you, you run into an adult like that, and it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, you, you want to do more than just explain to them verbally. But this, this fellow, he's, he's right from the start saying, I don't know. Would you please direct my steps? And so uh, that's a, a good thing. And um, now notice again, in verse number one, it says even the prophecy. Uh, he says in verse number three, I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Knowledge of the holy. Now, we're not going to turn on to a lot of places, but I, I needed to turn there uh, to one place here. Uh, notice that phrase at the end of verse three, it says knowledge of the holy. Uh, turn there to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Again, we're going to need Proverbs 30. Luke chapter 1. The very first time that the word knowledge shows up in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 1. And, uh, and, and Luke chapter 1, incidentally, verse 35, the, the second time the word holy, Luke 1, 35, that it shows up chronologically is uh, in Luke 1, 35. Uh, look there, it says, uh, And the angel answered and said unto her, this is Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing, speaking of the, the babe in her womb, J Jesus Christ, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. That holy thing. Now take a look there in, in verse number 67. Uh, Luke 1, verse 67. It says, And his father, Zacharias, so now we're talking the father of John the Baptist, after John the Baptist was born. Verse 67, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying. So what follows, he prophesies what John's responsibility is going to be when he's born. Now look at verse number 77. He's, he's continuing in, in what he's saying, filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. Do you see that? He, he said, listen, uh, Agur says, I don't, have, I, I don't have the knowledge of the, I'm not Mr. English teacher, but if, if you look at the word knowledge, the prefix is no, knowledge. Uh, he said, I don't know anything about the holy. And John the Baptist was Told, was said about him that he's going to give knowledge of salvation. You want to know how to get saved? This man is going to point people to the one. A little while later, John the Baptist stands up a few years later, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's, he's giving people knowledge of the holy. He's saying, that's him right there. That's, that, that's the one. And here, back in... Um, 
Back in Proverbs chapter 30, he says in verse 3, I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Here's an example of a man who starts off with, he, he readily admits, I don't know anything. A more brutish than man. And, and then he says, I don't have the knowledge of the holy. And I'm just wondering, how many people today would still say, if you, if you, if you could read their mind, their thoughts, if they, if, if, how many people would you and I run into that would say, I have no idea how to get, I, I, I don't know what this life is all about. And they need someone to tell them. And this man, he's, I don't know. And John the Baptist says, that's him right there. Uh, you know what? We need to be ones that say that too. We need to give people knowledge of the holy. We need, uh, that's our responsibility. Um, first thing, he was cognizant of who he was. You know the second thing he was back in Proverbs 30? Uh, verse number four. Now look at that first word. He says who. He doesn't say what. He says who. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? You know the second thing I notice about this man? First, he was cognizant of who he was. Second, he had consideration of the creator. He, he said, who hath ascended up to heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who, again, who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who, not what, who hath established all the ends of the earth? He recognizes that someone was here and they went up there. I don't know who he is, but he, he controls the wind in his fists and he looks out across the sea and this man understands that this isn't just a happenstance, something that showed up out of nowhere. He realizes that water, <laughs> It's, somebody controls this thing. And, and isn't that amazing about when, when, when that storm took place and those disciples were up and down and Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves. The Bible says that they, the disciples, feared exceedingly and said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Agur was saying, who is that? that? And those disciples, they said, that's him right there. That's the one that's doing this. Again, this is a prophecy, but I'm just amazed how this man, in his innocence, he doesn't know anything, and he readily admits it. But he does have enough sense to look up and go, somebody did this. Somebody's whole, you know, I, I think that, it, that the innocence, <laughs> if only it wouldn't be interrupted by the enter entertainment of this world for children. I, I think Brother Walmsley was saying something last night about his little grandson. Brother, how old is your grandson? Eight years old. And he was coming up with some words that are absolute foolishness regarding people. And it's like, and we all agreed only the school could have put them in it. You wouldn't, this man, he recognized there is a God. Somebody is up there. And um, he didn't, uh, uh, he, he just, he said, he said, who hath gathered the wind in his fists and bound the water? Who runs this whole thing? those disciples recognized was Jesus. Not, not only he was cognizant of who he was, he could consideration the cr creator. I want you to notice he continued on the right track. Look, again, verse number four, the agar speaking, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Uh, have you and I not run into a lot of people who you get talking to them and, and, and 
And they'll say something like, yeah, I believe in God. Sure do. Oh, I'm not an atheist, of course. I, 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 oh, abortion, no way, not at all. And you try to get a little closer and say, did you know that God sent Jesus? No, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. And that's as far as they want to go. They're not interested in going any farther. You know what this man said? Who hath gathered the, who did this? Who bound the waters in a garment? And then he said, what's his name? And what is it? He, he, he continued down the right track. He wanted to know more. He didn't just want to know, I guess there's a God up there. Yeah, of course, I agree with that. I want to know who did it. I want to get closer to him. And he wasn't satisfied with just knowing about God. He wanted to know God. The Bible says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That's the one. That's the one. Um, the name he was looking for. Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name. What is his son's name? What is his son's name? When that Philippian jailer said, uh, what must I do to be saved? Those two men said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's, that's the one that this man was looking. He, it's a prophecy. What is his son's name? And I know it ends with, if thou canst tell. But I wonder, you look at that from a different direction. Can you tell? <laughs> Can you tell his son's name to others? Uh, get, uh, right? No, no, here we go. This man, first thing he did, he was cognizant of who he was. More brutishly mad. I, I, I don't know anything. But I recognize there's someone was here, and they went up there. They put this whole thing together. They're holding it together, and he's got a name, and he's got a son. What's his name? He's, he's, he's making some progress. I wonder, this track that this fellow's gone, have, are you staying on the right track? I, this guy, he just keeps, and we're going to, look, he's going to keep, there's six steps that he's taken. He keeps going on the right track. Now, I know I'm talking probably, probably mostly saved people here, but I wonder, are you continuing on the right track? It would be so easy for a lot of people to say, well, where I am, my position spiritually, I'm further than any of my family has ever been. And somebody else says, well, you know what? I'm further than most Christians have been. Are you going to just stop there, or are you going to continue further down the right track? You want to continue. This fellow continues. Um, I, I, now, the next thing I want you to know, uh, so again, he was cognizant of who he was. He had consideration of the Creator. He continued on the right track. Now, look at verse number 5. It says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Um, again, I am not an English teacher, but I learned this much. That first phrase in verse number five, the subject is not God, it's the word of God. Do, do you see that in that phrase? It says, every word of God is pure. It's the word of God that's pure. Are you with me? That, that's just the case. The word of God is the subject. So what we should read in the next part of that verse it should say, every word of God is pure. They are a shield unto them that put their trust in them. But it doesn't say that. It says, he is a shield that, unto them that put their trust in him. Okay? If you're going to leave the second part of that verse just the way it is, then the first part of the verse should say, God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. 
But it doesn't say God is pure. It says every word of God is pure. You know what this man is doing? He's, he's compounding the word of God with God. And he's sliding them together. Now, this is a profound thing. But it's, uh, you understand, I feel like an English teacher. A compound word. A pickup truck. Pick up. Compound word. The word someone. Some, one, compound word. Now, this man takes the word of God. He says, every word of God is pure. And then he takes God and he says, he is a shield on them that put their trust in him. He takes the word of God and God and goes, he puts them together. Now, he almost equated, I mean, when you look at that closely, he's almost like, I know this isn't God, but he comes pretty close. Um, uh, God is holy. This, this Bible is holy. The Bible says in Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. He's a, God is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Am I not talking to someone here who's gone through some rough times, day of trouble, and this has been a stronghold? this thing. It's, it's just, uh, God is pure. God is true. The Bible is pure. The Bible is true. Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 21, 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. God looks down at our hearts and looks at the motive. He reads us and recognizes that guy is doing this. It appears he's doing it for this reason, but I can see he's really doing it for this. He ponders the heart. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12? It says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The end of that verse said, says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Which would explain why you and I get, when we get on outs with God, we have a rough time picking this up. Now we can say what we want, but you know what the real reason is? This thing reads us. This thing convicts us. God ponders the heart. This thing reads us as well. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, calls our God the God of all comfort. When you get reading over there in 50, Romans 15, 4, the Bible says, whatsoever things are written aforetime, written for our learning, though we through patience and comfort of the scriptures. God gives us comfort. This Bible gives us comfort. And I, and I say that this man, <laughs> doing pretty good, huh? He started from nothing. And I looked up, there's a creator. I want to know more. I want to know his name. I want to know his son's name. And then he says, you know what? The, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them to put their trust. He, he put them together. Don't, have, have you and I not run into believers? They get saved. They trust what Jesus did for them on Calvary. They're on their way to heaven. And yet, after they get saved, they don't take the step this man took. They figure now it's wide open, fair game, in season to pick and choose which words are true and which ones depends how you look at it. And this felt he came further. He, came, he said, every word of God is true. Every word of God is pure. I, I don't quite grasp that concept. If you're going to trust Jesus Christ for all eternity with your soul, Forever, this is and and it's 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 real. It's it, one of these days, either that, 
or they're going to they're going to put a, a carcass body up in the front of the church and people are going to say, well, he was and they're going to say whatever they want about you or me. But if you're saved, he's in heaven. And somebody trusts Jesus for that eternal. Like I heard this morning, the eternal life was given the moment you and I trusted him. We trust him with our soul. And for someone to turn around and say, I believe what this Bible says about Jesus being dying for my sins and rising again the third day. And I put my trust in him. And then they turn the next page and say, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I, I don't grasp that. This man, he did. He said, every word of God is pure. Uh, all right, so let's look at the next. Uh, look at verse number, uh, verse number six. He says, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. You know the fifth thing, this, I only got six. The, the fifth thing that this man recognized is that there were consequences to adding what God said. There's consequences to adding what God said. And, uh, you know, in the Bible, there's a big emphasis in today's age on a local church. Uh, Paul wrote the churches. He wrote the pastors, leaders of churches. Uh, John, in the book of Revelation, wrote the seven different churches. And uh, uh, anyone that's vaguely familiar with the, uh, with the gospel knows that a church is not necessary to get to heaven well and sometimes you have to emphasize that because some people they think as soon as you start talking bible they instantly say yeah see i go to church and but then there's the other side that uh, uh you, you start talking you invite them to church and they'll say uh you don't have to go to church to be a christian <laughs> that's their their knee-jerk uh, response to an invitation to church and so you, you, if they're reasonable and you you can talk you can say well you're absolutely right. Church can't get you into heaven, and you don't have to go to church to get saved. That's not necessary at all. Uh, and then if they have a testimony of salvation, and, and you say, but you know, God didn't, his plan wasn't for us to get saved, and then just be lone wolves and sit at home and watch a screen and hope that somehow, well, I'm saved, and I guess that's, I've done everything God wanted me to do. God has a plan. And that plan is to get Christians together where they can hear preaching and be stirred up, where they can get and have fellowship to be encouraged with other, other, other saved people, where they can learn more Bible, where they can pray for other people collectively, where they can support. And you try, if, if they're reasonable, and you can get that far, you know what the next roadblock will throw up? They'll say, well, you know, I used to go to church. And they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll go off on a a tandem, a, a, a rant. They'll go off on a rant about the last church or the church they went to before. And at the end of it, it'll usually be something along the lines of, and you know what? That whole church, they sided with the pastor. Or they'll, the, the end of the thing will be, and, and yeah, and you know, so, so, and that guy said that, and you know, he calls himself a Christian. That's not true. And what they're saying is, they won't say this, but what they're really saying is, I know the Bible puts an emphasis on church. I know you're supposed to be in church, but I'm exempted from going to church because of the experience I've gone through. And they won't say this either, but they're implying that somewhere there's a little asterisk in the Bible with a little footnote at the bottom that says, because this church wasn't perfect, you don't really have to go to church. <laughs> you know, that's adding to those words. You know what that book says? It says, add thou not unto his words, lest thou he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. A liar. So, uh, I, <laughs> I was... Uh, 
There's no perfect churches. You don't have to read far in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians to see that it is loaded with churches. You, you look at those churches that John wrote in the book of Revelation. <laughs> I think all six of the seven, God had not too many good things to say about them. But you won't find any little footnote at the bottom saying, ah, you don't have to go to those churches. There's no, again, there's not an exemption clause in there. You're adding something that's not there. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, if I wanted to smack my mom, <laughs> I think I did this twice, I, I learned. Uh, I would say along the lines of, uh, you know, mom, the Bible says that wives are supposed to submit unto their husbands. You're supposed to listen to that. <laughs> smack. <laughs> and, and then she'd explain in a somewhat louder volume. She'd say, uh, she'd say well, if your father, if he knew what he was doing, and then she'd, and she'd go on. And you know what she was saying? I know what the Bible says in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3 about wives. I understand that perfectly. But there's a little footnote somewhere that says if your husband doesn't have it all together and he's not perfect, then that exempts me from obeying that. That's what what's that? That's adding to that Bible. It didn't say that. I'll say something else, that uh, you're driving along in your car and, uh, and you, 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 you know, like everybody else, you just kind of roll through the stop sign, especially when it's icy, you come to a stop and you've got to spin if you're going uphill. So you kind of roll. Can you imagine if a little voice in the back seat said, Daddy, you didn't stop at the stop sign. And you, uh, and you go, yeah, I know it's kind of icy. The stop sign says, stop, Daddy, and you didn't stop. And you say, listen, listen, sweetheart, we're not all perfect. Sometimes... Now, just imagine, I know it wouldn't happen, but suppose they said, you're not perfect? Then that means that I don't have to obey you because the Bible says that I'm to obey my parents and all things for this well-pleasing on the Lord. And if you're not perfect, I don't have to obey. Would you really pull over to the side of the street, look at your wife, she looks at you and go, she's right. You're absolutely right. You don't have to obey us because we're not perfect. That wouldn't happen. But somehow, when it comes to a church, well, I, I had a problem. Okay, you don't have to go to church. That's fine. Well, I know a pastor that, okay, he wasn't perfect, then I, I get it. You say, what is that? That's adding to the Word of God. And that Bible says that God will reprove you, and that will be found a liar. I, I have a, uh, <laughs> I don't look at a lot of computer, but I have this one thing I look at. I'm kind of addicted to it. I'll first admission is <laughs> It's called Patriot Post. And I look, they, what, what I've drawn to this, they make an absolute mockery of liberal politicians. I mean, <laughs> boy, I'm addicted. And they, they'll, they'll show a statement of what a politician says, and then they'll show a photograph of the politician that said it. And on the photograph, from the knees down, there'll be a whole bunch of fire. <laughs> well, you know what that's implying, you know, liar, liar, pants and fire. And, um, and, I, and I look at that, and I think, well, that's, that's, that's good, man. Now... But here's the thing, if, if you are the, or I am the type that adds these little exemption clauses in the Bible because we say, well, if God only knew what I was going through, he'd understand I'm not a, if, if God knew the type of church, if God knew the man that took, if God knew my husband, whatever little clause you put in there, you know that Bible says there in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, talking about the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, it says they'll be saved, yet so as by fire. And I know we're not being burned. We're hell-proof the moment you get saved. But I just look at that and I think, I wonder if that's because some people said, now, I'm different. So I am now got a clause, a loophole to get around obeying that particular part of the Bible. There is none. That's adding. Back to Proverbs 30, verse number 6. 
He says, I thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So here's what we've learned about this man. He was cognizant of who he was. That was the first step. He had consideration of the creator. He looked up and realized what most college professors don't grasp, that it's a who, not a what. He continued on the right track. He wanted to know more about this creator. He put the word of God and God so close that he realized that this thing is absolutely pure, exactly what God wanted said, the way he wanted said. And he acknowledged there were consequences for adding to what God said. Do you know the last thing I notice about this man in his progress? Uh, look at verse number six. Uh, sorry, verse number, verse number uh, seven. He says, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Uh, this fellow, he, he knew that there, there was going to be one day a gravestone with his name on it. And he... He knew that was imminent. That was coming down the pipes before long and perhaps sooner than he expected. And, and, and he didn't want some trivial little thing like he kept the grass cut all the time or he tended to travel to exotic places in his later years. And he developed several... He, he said, don't waste your time with that. He knew that that tombstone was going to show up and he wanted, his last thing I say about this man, he wanted his life to count. He wanted it to be more than just a, here I am, got the pension, done, lived as far as I could, now the retirement home, then the funeral home, and that, no, he said, I want more than that. You say, how do you know? Look at verse number eight. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Um, he, the hindrances were the poverty or the riches. He said, remove from me vanity and lies. When he says remove, I gather that he said remove because the vanity and lies were right there. Maybe from right at the start, they were there. And each step he made, he kept, he, despite of all those things being in front of him, finally he says, listen, <laughs> Get rid of these things, the vanity and the lies. Take them away from here. Um, I, you know, Paul said this. Uh, this man says he's concerned with the, uh, the uh, he said, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me the food convenient for me. Paul said, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. How many, I, I mean, this man recognizes that he could easily get tripped up if he got too poor, and get tripped up if he got too rich. And how many people have you known that everything, they were making the right steps. Not only did they recognize that, Lord, I don't know, but there is a creator, and I want to know him and his son, and they met his son, and then they recognized this book is pure, and they realized, let's not change it, but somehow... They got a new job, and they stopped making steps. Or they got a new friend, and they got wound up going down a path. Or they got a new, a new promotion, or they got a new address. Or they got something that just took their eyes off the direction they were supposed to go, and they said, I think I'll go in a different direction. David said, David, <laughs> he was a shepherd whose dad never had enough confidence in him to show up for Samuel when Samuel was going to anoint the king. 
David could have became the king and went, well, I guess went far enough right there, and I'm going to let my dad know, and I'm going to let my brother know who mocked me when I want to fight David, that, that I'm the man. And you know what David said when he was king? He said, let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. That, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, if, if only we could get a hold of that foot of pride. You get a man who's solid, having done all stand, you're not going to get tripped up. But you pick up the ball of wealth and prosperity and popularity, and you start to run with that thing. You ever see a football game that the guy's coming straight towards the linebacker? It's got to be a to knock him off. But if he's racing down the sideline, you just got to do that, and he's done. That, that, you just step out. And you know what? That's pride. Pride is so, so easy to get knocked off because all because we just pick up speed and we get our eyes off Christ and we get our eyes off the direction we're supposed to go. And this man says, remove from me, far from me, vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I, he, he wanted to stay making right decisions. Right decisions. Um, I'm about done. I'll just give you this last thing. Here's, here's uh, this man said at the end, verse nine, lest I be full. He saw the danger and deny thee, that's his God, Jesus, and say, who is the Lord? Or have you, have you and I not met people saved absolutely, and maybe it's a wealthier part of town, and they have no interest in church, no interest in, but they got a testimony of salvation. That's the people that didn't recognize there's problem with the vanity and lies. And say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain? I've run into a few people that are they're down and out. They've heard about Jesus, but they're just upset. Why did God allow this to me? This fellow said, I don't want to be there. There was this little boy. Little boy went to school. He did excellent. He did, his marks were up in the A's, just great. Great marks. His dad was so proud of him. His teacher was so proud of him. And, uh, and one day, his marks started to drop. They just plummeted. And the, uh, the teacher was, uh, tried to, come on, get a grip, son, you gotta, it, keep my, and, the, and the boy, it just, there's no, he just started failing. The teacher called up dad and said, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with your son, but he's just not, and dad says, yeah, I noticed that. And so he said, I'll, I'll deal with it. So he, uh, he calls his son in to his uh, house, and, where they live in the basement, and, and he goes in there, and, and the dad had a bucket of apples, Right full of apples right here. Big, red, delicious kind that you bite into, everybody looks at you. Just beautiful. It's full of apples. And in this bucket over here, he had two of them. This bucket was filled with shavings and ashes and pieces of bark. Right full. Apples and bark. And he says, son, I want you to take those apples and fill up that pail. So the boy says, all right, daddy. And he, take, and he just took a few and he realizes they're going to... He said, Daddy, I can't do that because it's already full of ashes. And the man said to his son, Now, son, your life is like these buckets. You're either going to fill them with apples or you're going to fill them with junk. You fill them with junk, you're not going to have room for the good stuff. Now, do you see where this is going? This man started from a nobody, and he kept going to the point that he said, My life, I want it to count. We have lives like buckets. You're either going to fill it up with stuff 
that has nothing to do with anything at the end of the day, or you're going to fill it up with righteous, good stuff that will please God. That is a progression of a good man. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for, the, for your word, Lord. We've seen a good man who, who readily acknowledged. He, he started off, I don't know nothing. I know I'm more brutish than any man. And this fellow looked up and he didn't have his imagination messed up by entertainment or by some nonsense. He looked up and said, somebody put those things up, those stars, not moon and sky. And he wanted to know more. He continued on this track. This man kept going and recognized what God said is so and knew that he dare not change it. And this fellow at the end said, I don't want my life to count for nothing. I want, I want to, 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 to add up to something where at the end I can say, I please God. Father, uh, just a few verses from a man. But Lord, I pray that uh, if, there, if you spoke to someone regarding anything here, that you would direct them to make a change. Maybe they stop continuing on the right track. Maybe they stop believing the book. Maybe they're surrounding themselves with vanity and lies. Maybe they're chasing that, that ever-elusive dollar. I don't know what it is, Father, but if you spoke to someone, pray, uh, pray that you might deal with their heart.